when I was uh, in Maine at the end of this summer, we went into a shop in Camden because my wife wanted to, uh, you know, tell me I need to put my microphone on here, because my, uh, because my wife wanted to uh, get some gifts. And I began to talk to the young man who was running the shop, and the uh, young man had a, an accent. He was obviously from the UK, and nobody else was around, so I started asking him questions. I asked him where he'd come from in the UK, and what, what brought you here? Was it school that brought you here? No, it, it wasn't school. I'd come to Maine when I was little, and I really liked it uh, here, so uh, you know, I've come back. And I kept asking him questions, kept asking him questions. And uh, you know, finally, he said to me, well, you know, as, we, as I got to know this young man, he said, my, he said my, my life was this spiraling down mess of addiction and violence, he said. And I, he said, I know it probably sounds crazy, but, but, but Jesus saved my life. Jesus changed my life. And I said, really? I said, tell me about that. And he seemed, he seemed a little surprised. And he said, well, he said, um, I mean, it's a long story. He said, if, if, you've got, if you've got time. And so the young man there proceeded to share with me the gospel of Jesus and how it had changed his life, how encountering Jesus had changed his life. And this young man had come from a rough background. I said, um, where did you hear about Jesus from? And he said, well, he said, uh, he said I have a friend of mine, this, this girl who is a friend of mine uh, who was working as a prostitute. And uh, he said, that's not a very safe profession. I said, no, I can imagine. And uh, he said, I was always really worried about her. And then I hadn't seen her for a few months. And then when I ran into her, she was just a completely different person. And I said to her, you know, what, what happened to you? She had left that industry. She was working a regular job. I said, what happened to you? And she said, Jesus happened to me. And, and, the, and the whole series of events was remarkable. You, you know, maybe your story of how you came to faith in Jesus was not quite that astounding and quite that remarkable, but you do have a story. How did you come to know Jesus? How did you come to committing your life to being his disciple? What avenue brought you to Jesus? The avenue for broken people to encounter Jesus comes through broken people who have encountered Jesus. I'd like to read to you today from uh, John's Gospel, chapter 4. Um, it'd be most of the chapter, about two-thirds of the chapter, verses 1 through 42. This is the Gospel according to John and God's Word. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. 
When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, and also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. Well, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and the other reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his word, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know 
that this man really is the Savior of the world. And Father, may it be uh, for us that we see that this man really is the Savior of the world. And Father, as you have graced us to encounter him, may we be the avenue for the encounter of others. Amen. Well, the gospel starts with Jesus, right? That should be pretty obvious. The gospel starts with Jesus. John told us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Uh, Mark begins his gospel with his word, with the words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's been said, and I think truly that, you know, the whole Bible is either preparation for Jesus Christ, proclamation of Jesus Christ, or participation in Jesus Christ. But the gospel begins with him. And in John chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples, uh, we see, are leaving Judea and they're heading north back up to Galilee where Jesus has come from. And we're told in verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. That had to is not a geographic had to. It certainly is more convenient to go from Judea uh, to Galilee through Samaria, but most Jews didn't. Most Jews steered a wide berth out to the east so they could avoid going through Samaria. The had to here is not a geographic necessity. It's a redemptive necessity, and we see it in what's about to happen. A Samaritan woman is about to encounter Jesus, and it's a, it's a remarkable and unlikely encounter in the first place. This woman is a Samaritan. I pointed out a few times before that the Jews and the Samaritans uh, hated each other. And I've said before, I'm not going to go into the history of all that, but allow me to go into some of the history of that, of why they hated each other. In uh, 722 BC, the Assyrians Uh, had invaded the northern kingdom of Israel and carried those tribes off into captivity. They deported them. That was a kind of a common thing that would happen uh, when people conquered land so that they wouldn't be too comfortable. The people who they conquered wouldn't really have their footing. They'd take them, they'd deport them to some place where they were not used to living. So they'd be preoccupied with, with resettling themselves somewhere. And there were other peoples that had been conquered that had been brought to live in Samaria. And um, those people came to be known as the Samaritans. Um, The Samaritans, in the time that they were there, came to be worshipers of the God of Israel. Now, interestingly, they only accepted the five books of Moses, but they came to be worshipers of the God of Israel. And on the mountain there, on Mount Gerizim, they had built a temple. And and they built that temple to the God of Israel. Uh, Well, in uh, 586 BC, the Babylonians came. They carried the southern tribe of Judah off into captivity. And 70 years later, 
uh, they were returned to the land of Israel, and they began to resettle that land. Now, uh, eventually, again, without going into all the details of the, of the uh, history there, Israel came to gain its independence because the, the empire changed hands several times, but um, it came to gain its, uh, its independence uh, during the Maccabean Revolt. You've heard of the Maccabean Revolt, haven't you? And a fellow by the name of John Hyrcanus um, took a raiding party and went and attacked Samaria and destroyed the temple at Mount Gerizim. And uh, that temple was never rebuilt. The Samaritans regarded it as a holy site. But for, but for two centuries, whenever they went to that holy site and saw it in ruins, it made them seethe with rage at the Jews. And the Jews didn't like them because they felt like they were occupying land that rightly belonged to them. So the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. And that's why the Samaritan woman, when she came out to draw water and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? She's, she's kind of startled. And she said, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me to give you a drink? Why, why would you think that would be okay to do? And, and she's not merely a, a Samaritan, but uh, she, as she says here, she's a Samaritan woman. In verse 25, or 27 rather, uh, when the disciples returned, we're told they were surprised to find Jesus talking with a woman. Uh, in that culture, men, and particularly teachers, uh, did not speak to women and children that they didn't have familiar dealings with. Of course, they'd speak to their wives and daughters and children, people from their towns and their synagogues, but if they were out and about, they just didn't speak to women or children. And we're told as well that when this all took place, it was about the sixth hour, that is about noontime. Um, the well of Jacob was a distance outside of the town of Sychar. And um, noontime in the Middle East is not the time to go out and draw water. Um, you don't even go at the end of the day unless you really need it, unless you can't help it otherwise because the earth has been baking in the sun all day. You go to get water in the early morning, in the cool of the day. And usually it would be a communal activity. Uh, women would go out together. But this woman comes out by herself in the middle of the day, and as the story unfolds, uh, some people have thought, and perhaps rightly, that she might have not been welcome to go with the women of Sychar because she had a bit of a reputation. And she, uh, this woman, at this odd time, has an encounter to go with Jesus, or an encounter, rather, with Jesus because he had to go through Samaria. And in what unfolds, you know, as I've read this account, Jesus sees through to her very soul and sees her sin. And uh, at first, did you notice that at first she uh, tries to deflect what Jesus says with a theological conversation? Let me tell you, that is a, usually Jesus is a young rabbi, 
that, that's usually a great way to get young pastors and young theologians off track, right? If somebody's confronting you with your sin, bring up some academic interest, some theological question. And I, you know, think back over the years that I've been in the ministry, and I remember one time dealing with a man whose uh, marriage was just about on the verge of uh, tatters because of inappropriate relationships that he had had with other women. And it's really interesting. This fellow, as I met with him, he all of a sudden was very, very interested in the fine distinctions between justification and sanctification. Very interested in the Greek words and what they meant. And he was very interested in eschatology. Isn't that interesting? And, 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 and why do people do that? Because dealing with the real issues is uncomfortable. And, and that's exactly what this woman does. Jesus says, go call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, well, you know what you've said is true. Um, you, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. And she says, let's talk about the theology of the temple. But as the story unfolds, it becomes evident that she has, in fact, been waiting for the Messiah. Perhaps, perhaps she'd nearly given up hope. And, and, and her life has kind of spiraled out of control, and she's given in to, I don't know, I don't know what motivated her, what was easy, what was expedient, what she desired. But, but somehow cynicism hadn't completely engulfed her. There was a glimmer of hope left. And when Jesus tells her that he's the one she's been waiting for, she believes him. She needed a savior, and she believed him. Like that young man in Maine who needed a savior, and when he encountered Jesus, he believed him. Like the girl that he had heard about Jesus from needed a savior. And when she encountered him, she believed him like, I needed a savior. And when I encountered him, I believed him. And like you, I hope, know that you needed a savior. And when you encountered Jesus, you believed him. But it's possible, you know, it's possible to see, but not really see. To hear, but not really hear. And it's possible to be confronted with Jesus, but not really to encounter him. An authentic encounter produces a real response that brings about change. And this woman believes, and there's some change that seems to be sown in her life, some seeds of change. I, I love her method of sharing the good news about who she's encountered. She is a sinner saved by grace, but she's a known sinner. And she doesn't have much ground on which to stand, from which to preach, to proclaim, to instruct. She just doesn't really have any credible place to stand. And so do you see what she does? 
she asks, could this be the Christ? Could this be the Christ? Maybe Paul, the rabbi, can teach in the synagogues because that's what rabbis do. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to show up in the synagogues and teach. But this woman has no place, no, no right, no platform to preach as such. So she asks. I wonder if you ever feel like that. You, you know, I've got friends, I've got family, I've got co-workers, I've got neighbors. They know me, they know my faults, they know my failings. Who am I to, who am I to preach? Who am I to instruct them? So don't. Just ask instead. Well, 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 what do you think about God? Who do you think Jesus is? Why do you think he made such a stir? Why do you think the world was turned upside down? There's all kind of questions you could ask. It's been, a, it's been a rough couple of years, you know, but even when times are great, there's still a lot of evil. There's still a lot of injustice. What do you think that is? What do you think our basic problem is? What do you think we need? Because questions lead to discussions. Could this be the Christ? Questions lead to discussions, which can lead to people seeing Jesus. And, you know, John, we're going to find out in John's gospel when we get to chapter 10, that those who are his will respond. Jesus is going to say, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. If, if you look for the opportunity to preach, I think a, a, a lot of American uh, evangelicalism has thought that, well, my, you know, my job is to go out and to preach Jesus, right? But if you look for opportunity to preach, well, you've got to wait for just the right time and just the right circumstance. It's not always appropriate for you to stand up and preach. But it's almost never the wrong time to ask a question and see where it leads. Uh, aware of our own brokenness, we might think, who would I be to preach to others, to preach to my extended family, my neighbors, my friends, my co-workers? And, and you know, you may be right. But you can ask, what do you think? Could this be the Christ? The ongoing avenue for broken people to encounter Jesus is through broken people who have encountered Jesus. The ordinary avenue for people to encounter Jesus is through those who already have encountered him. And you know, the funny thing is, friends, is that you never know who's waiting for a savior. Uh, my guess is that the disciples didn't think that the Samaritans were. Um, I don't know why he wants to go through Samaria. That's not what we usually do. Maybe he's eager to get to Galilee. But I don't think they probably really thought that the Samaritans were waiting for a savior. But they were, as the story unfolds. 
we see that they were. And, and because of the woman's question and her testimony about him, we're told that they believed. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his word, many more came to believe. That they believed because of her testimony, but her testimony was not enough. They had to encounter Jesus for themselves. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Her testimony was not enough, and yet it was through her testimony that they encountered Jesus for themselves. The gospel, you know, originally it starts with Jesus. And, And here we see it in the first century in this town in Samaria that Jesus personally confronts the woman not that not in a belligerent confrontation he shows her nothing uh, but compassion and care and kindness but jesus personally confronts this woman but the ongoing avenue for broken people to encounter jesus is through broken people who have encountered jesus and so while it starts here, right, it doesn't end here. Through her testimony, they encounter Jesus for themselves. So let me return to the question that I asked you before. Who did you encounter Jesus through? Was it through parents or a friend or a co-worker? Um, maybe you had come to a place in your life where you hit rock bottom and you wandered into a church, and there you encountered Jesus. But it was through someone, wasn't it? You encountered Jesus through someone. And that person encountered Jesus through someone. And that person encountered Jesus through someone. And that person encountered Jesus through someone back through the centuries, back across geography, back to Jesus encountering people like Peter and James and John and this woman at the well in Samaria. And and your life is a part of an unbroken chain Did you ever think about this before? Your Christian life is a part of an unbroken chain that goes all the way back to the first century to Jesus confronting people. People encountering Jesus in person. And it's it's through them that you have encountered Jesus for yourself. That that chain doesn't end with you. It didn't start with you and it doesn't end with you. 
but rather you're a part of it. You are the avenue for others to encounter Jesus. Um, you don't need to stand up and preach. You can do it like this woman did and ask questions. Could this be the Christ? Because there's a promise, as I said, that's made here. will be made later in John chapter 10. His sheep will hear his voice. The, the gospel starts with Jesus. And you know what? It will come back to and it will end with Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And in between, others have been the avenue for you to come to him. And you are the avenue for others to come to him. The avenue for broken people to encounter Jesus is through broken people like you and me who have encountered Jesus. Let's pray together. Uh, our Father, that is uh, a kind of a staggering thought was for me when I realized it, that, that I'm in Christ because of people uh, who shared Christ with me who were confronted with him through other people before them, who were themselves in Christ because of other people before them, and, and all the way back to the time that Jesus uh, walked among us. And, and Father, by the work of your Holy Spirit, uh, through the testimony of others as we're confronted with Jesus, uh, we come by your word and spirit to encounter him for ourselves. And Lord, you've made us the blessed recipients of that. Help us to see, too, that we're the blessed conduits of it. To be the avenue for others coming to faith in Jesus. And Father, at the, at the end of the age, when everything comes back to and upon Jesus, when we see that Jesus is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. May we give you glory for including us and using us. Amen. Mm -hmm.